Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So this is episode 132, 132 episodes, madness. Um, so this week's guest is Cormac Murphy, or at I am Cormac Murphy on Instagram. So a few people might be familiar with them. Um, Cormac was on Love Island USA in season one. And he is a former celebrity nightclub promoter uh, in NYC. Uh, he is a model with Assets model, Modeling Agency as well. But Cormac has an amazing story about going from addiction, having suicidal thoughts, his battles with mental health, his battles with alcohol and drugs. And mental health is a massive part of Cormac's story. Mental health is a massive part of a lot of people's stories. And Cormac is so honest and candid and what we talk about through his his addiction, through his anxiety, through self-care, through creating a routine, through the suicidal thoughts, the the love violent experience, partying with Cuba Gooden Jr., kind of li- trying to lift the taboo uh, that is mental health um, and for men's mental health. Cormac has been part of Movember um, with Social Mind and Sports Mind Ireland. So please do go and head over to um, please donate to that if you if you can as well. But Cormac is doing incredible work with Pieta House, and he talks about a challenge that he's going to do. He's going to run a marathon between um, Christmas Eve midday up until Christmas day Christmas day midday, uh, and do like two k on the air every hour, uh, and do that. And he will have earned his Christmas dinner. But so I hope you guys enjoy the episode. It's an incredible episode. Cormac's so honest and open about it. So guys, hope you enjoy the episode with Cormac Murphy. Thank you so much for coming on, Cormac. What's going on, Shane? Thanks for having me, man. No worries at all. Like I know we were talking off air about kind of the last little few months and stuff like that. They've been, it's some turnaround from yourself. I'm going to let you kind of, I gave you a brief intro um, and I'm always going to, I can never do people justice in in the intro and i think it, it's always better coming from the actual source themselves so i'm gonna let people talk about yourself uh and the last year has been whirlwind for yourself so mm. mike is yours yeah thanks very much for having me first of all and um, i was really looking forward to this since uh since you reached out there um a few a few weeks back but um yeah i guess i suppose i'll get into my story because uh yeah, for, for for people who don't know me, um, I suppose, um, you know, I went on Love Island a couple of years ago and I was in the New York nightlife scene for a few years as well. And um, it was just on a, on a really, really fast train the last few years, like, you know, but um, I ended up, yeah, so I ended up moving to New York in 2016, September 2016, roughly. And, um, you know, I was just, just egging, egging the gutter. You know, my mother's originally from America. And um, I always had that American passport, so I, I, I knew eventually I was going to move to um, move over to America. My brother had just opened up his bar and um, was raving on about it, so I was aching to get over there. So eventually I moved over there. I was working in the bar scene, doing a bit of construction. Um, I was doing a couple of shoots over there just when, it, when I first moved there, but I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Um, so one night uh, I ended up going out in a nightclub with... Uh, with these regulars of mine in the bar and um that was my first night experiencing the new york nightlife scene and i'd never seen anything like it before it's absolutely insane like you know <laughs> it, was, it was like <clears throat> what you see in the movies the dorm and the security the ropes outside the club 
And um, I was like, what's going on here? So I remember coming back. I was living in Astoria in Queens at the time. And I was talking to my roommate and telling him about the whole night and my experience in the nightclub. And he was like, he's like, you know, there's an Irish promoter in New York. And I was like, no, never heard of him. So I remember looking up Paddy Green, who ended up being my boss and my, 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 part, my business partner. I remember looking him up and at the time, he, <clears throat> I remember I had a thousand followers. This just stands out to me. I had a thousand followers on Instagram. And I remember looking up Paddy and I remember he had like 9,000 followers and there was pictures of him in Soho and in these nightclubs. And I was like, who is this fella? Like he, he's doing something right. He's 9,000 followers, you know? And it's, uh, it's funny looking or thinking back and telling that story now. But I remember reaching out to them and um, to Paddy and his, his uh, an Irish Jack. And, you know, eventually a couple of weeks later, I went out with him. And that was my first kind of taste of the nightlife scene with, with the Irish promoters. And at that time as well, I had a casting director. So this casting director was shooting me with these auditions around um, for reality TV in America. And I remember going out to LA once or twice um, for a couple of shows. And the one that I ended up getting um, before Love Island, this was, uh, it was called MTV or You The One. So I was doing a lot of castings for MTV shows. And I remember getting the show and I thought that was it. This is it. This is my big break. Like, you know, so I quit my bar job and I was, I was continuing going out with the guys uh, calling at work, calling, going out partying at work, you know, which is crazy. So I remember I didn't hear anything for about a month and a half, two months from my casting director. So I was like, oh, something's up here. You know, either I didn't get the show or something's up. So he said, okay, the cancels season seven, I believe it was. And it was a similar concept to Love Island. It was, you know, guys and girls in a, in a, in a, in a villa dating show and I was like geez what am I doing here man I'm, I'm unemployed in New York City like you know it's not the best thing to um the best uh the best situation to be in but um you know Paddy and Jack had asked me did I want to uh start working in the green room which is the the concierge company in uh in in New York and I said yeah why not no, nothing to lose I'm not doing any, anything anyway so I might as well and that's kind of when my nightlife uh quote-unquote career started you know and, you know, from there on in, I was completely addicted to them. Just the, just everything, everything, that, everything around the nightlife scene, just the women bumping into the celebrities, just the drink, um, just the party lifestyle. I absolutely loved it. Like, and it was just very, very, very addictive because it was, it was nothing like I've ever seen before. And it was just so unique. And I suppose it was that it was kind of standing out, which at the time is what I loved. I loved being center of attention, man. I, I had a big ego as well, like, you know, so anything that stood out from the crowd or anything that was impressive online, I, I was all about it, like, you know. And you you talk, like, do you, with, with the, the nightlife and stuff like that, like, you talk about, like, the people that you met, like, mm. who did you end up kind of, the, the type of people that you were kind of partying with and stuff like that, any big names that kind of, time to name drop? <laughs> 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 Joe, I, I, everyone asks everyone asks me this question, and I don't say it. Well, like if you asked me this a couple of years ago, I'd be I'd have a list out in, on my phone out in front because I love boasting about it. But I suppose the names that that stand out and that I'm I'm actually proud to have said I've took out and bumped uh, bumped off shoulders out is we took out Anthony Joshua when he was over oh, wow. for his fights, which was which is pretty cool because he's such an iconic person. But honestly, he's just a really really humble guy, like and just really really nice guy. And his whole his whole team as well. And then I got um, I was lucky enough because I'm a big anyone that knows me I'm a big combat sports guy. I love 
I love MMA, I love big fan of UFC. So Israel Alessande had came out with me on a new on a number of number of occasions, um, which is pretty cool as well, man, because I got to know him on a personal level as well. <clears throat> and uh yeah, that was those those two for me stood out. But um for anyone who's big uh, fans of movies, I suppose Cuba Cuba Cody Jr. was um one to remember as well. And I was par- I was partying with him though. I was I was hosting and hanging around with Stylebender and AJ, but I was um I was partying with Cuba. So that was say that was intense. <laughs> it was intense. He's an intense guy, man. I can't say I know him personally, but I met him on a number of occasions and uh yeah, he's uh he, he's a funny guy, but he's uh he's very, very intense. I'd say so. You can't, yeah, when you, yeah. you see him on the likes to say Graham Norton and stuff, yeah, it's kind of <laughs> like it's just it's like Will Smith, he's just on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and it's, it's, it kind of comes across that way. You spoke about uh, Love Island and about the auditions and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. How it what like being in the the villa? What is it actually like? Because I'm not sure if it's very different to the UK one. Because I've had a few guests that have been on the UK one, and mm-hmm. like I had Chris Williamson on recently. He was the very very first guest ever on the UK one, and yeah. he 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 openly talks about that he ha- kind of had to had to act a little bit different than he normally would because he was like he he's quite an articulate dude he's quite uh intelligent he kind of act had to act a little bit different he's like i have to talk to these girls on a level that i'm not familiar with and that i'm not that he's better than the people that are on it but it was like that they may not be able to may not be interested in the topics that he is about like uh some science stuff or whatever it may be Mm. how did you find the whole experience in general yeah it's a good um I could definitely relate to that because I suppose when I went to, when I went into the villa, it was definitely a big anti-climax for me because I got flown on to Fiji. The the villa was in Fiji. It was filmed all there. So, and I was actually told I was going to be a part of the, I was going to be the first five coming in. And then eventually they held me out. So I was kind of, I was actually kept in a hotel for 15 days. So that's kind of, that kind of, in straight, straight away, I was like, okay, I'm struggling here big time because I wasn't used to that isolation being held being held in a hotel and being kind of you know i was by the phone waiting for a call and i didn't know what was happening like so eventually when i when i went into the villa i was drained man i wasn't didn't feel didn't feel myself and then all of a sudden like you said before you're you're just talking i don't know i didn't find i had anything in common with any of the girls in the villa and it was just it was very surface level like you know anything that i wanted to talk about or or um you know, like, or I'd brought up to the girls. It was just, uh, I don't know, it was just very awkward. If anyone has watched it as well, you can kind of tell that I I, um, I didn't have anything in common with the girls and it was just very surface level conversation. Like, Yeah, yeah, because you, you, you don't know what's edited. You don't know what's been told to you guys either. Yeah. When you're on, because yeah. always, you're always, always skeptical. You're kind of like, is this scripted? Is this not scripted? Or yeah, I was actually laid out. It's definitely not scripted. That's one, one, one question I get a lot. I get asked uh, a lot is, you know, oh, were you told to say this? <laughs> For me, unfortunately, I wasn't told. I wish I was told to say some of the things I said on the, on, on the show. But I suppose at the time, man, I was, I was um, you know, I was in my, my prime promoter lifestyle. Like, um, I suppose I, I had an ego ego out, out, out up to here if, if you can see how, how, how high I'm holding my hand but um it was uh, I kind of had to I kind of played up to that character because when I went for the auditions 
I suppose you were asking me about, oh, my modeling and nightlife and everything was girls, girls, and how do you play this? I suppose that was the character that they wanted me to play up to. And I suppose that was, you know, that unfortunately that was the character I did play up to. And, but it wasn't me. Like, you know, I remember coming out of the show and I was just like, what the fuck was I doing? Like, you know, I was just like, that's not me, man. And that, that hurt me mentally as well, because I knew people were going to be watching me on TV and I knew they were going to have this, uh, that they were going to hold an opinion on, is this how, is this, is this what Cormac's actually like? And I remember watching the back and I was just like, Jesus, that's not, that's not me. And that's not who I actually wanted to be. But you know, it is what it is. You kind of learn from that as well, you know? Yeah. Like you talk about learning and stuff like that. Like you talk about the, the stuff over New York. Do you kind of, are you glad you had that chapter? And then that kind of and applied the lessons from that chapter to where you are now, which we'll talk about in a sec. Yeah, 100 percent, 100 percent, because I feel if I didn't go through, if I didn't do the whole nightlife thing, the whole reality, reality TV, like, you know, I wouldn't have actually found out who I wanted to be, if that makes sense. Um, I think going through those experiences and let's say playing those other characters and playing the promoter role and the reality star role, um, you know, I wouldn't have found out who I am, who I want to be and who I am today, like, you know. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think a few people have kind of potentially figured that out in the last little while as well, that potentially because we've been, I hate the word locked in, like we were talking off air about it, but Mm. people have been kind of living the life of Riley when they're kind of been going out in the the pace and acting behind that and hiding behind that potentially. I know I was when I was was going out and stuff like that, but uh, it's interesting when you kind of take yourself out of the situation, you kind of realise what actually is important and you actually yeah, realize what you are and what you stand for but it takes something drastic sometimes for for you to realize that and this for yourself you've had quite an incredible story and i think i'm going to let you take over the microphone again and explain the, the whirlwind of the the last few months year and uh, for yourself yeah you touched on it there i suppose it kind of takes for something drastic to happen in someone's life to kind of make them realize okay is this who i want to be or is this the direction i kind of want to go in in life and i suppose with me it was um you know it, i hit my rap on him i was uh i was completely addicted to drugs and um you know a lot of people didn't know that at the time um and this is pre-love island you know i was i was i had some some pretty low experiences um constant suicidal thoughts as well and you know one or two attempts uh, before the show and and then I suppose Love Island was a big distraction for me and then eventually when I came came home from Fiji that time I was straight back into my old habits and looking back at it now the patterns were there like you know I just didn't really didn't really notice or didn't really care to notice either but um, I suppose I just got into the, those those old, old habits and yeah man I was just uh, drinking a lot and, and using a lot and uh, not really caring not, not really giving not really caring enough um, to do anything about it. And I suppose, um, you know, I eventually stopped, stopped promoting. I was deteriorating both mentally and physically. It was coming apparent that, you know, I was losing a lot of weight and my family started to notice. And then eventually, uh, you know, my, my mother came over to, to, to visit me and my brother and saw that this was something was going on. But I was adamant in staying in New York, man. I, I, I built so much there i my i felt like i wanted to be in new york for the rest of my life that was home for me 
But, um, you know, just I was seeking help there and it just wasn't happening, man. I kept relapsing, kept relapsing. I'd go seven or eight days sober and then I'd use again. And then the worst thing about it, though, was when I was using, I wasn't telling anyone. I was telling people that I was sober. Um, and that was the addict in me, like, you know, just constantly lying, constantly blaming everyone else. And uh, looking back at it now, it was just, it was, it was crazy, crazy. Um, I was on a really, really fast train. That's what my, I think my counselor in rehab had said that. She's like, he was on a really, really fast train. And what I, I what I actually said, because my mother was there, and I was like, yeah, I was actually, I felt like I was driving that train. <laughs> and I didn't want, I didn't want to get off. It was just going so fast. Um, and then eventually my brother, Liam, had came over. New Year's Eve, so my birthday is New Year's Day, and I remember um, at that time I was like, oh, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna do um, a program in New York, do a go to rehab in New York." And then I walked into my brother's bar on New Year's Eve and saw my brother Liam there, and I was like, "This is it. He's take, he's 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 coming to New York to take me home." And that was it, man. Within six days, I was pa- I packed my bags and I was back in Ennis, County Clare, and. Um, yeah yeah it was it was it was definitely my rock bottom like you know as i said suicidal thoughts and um and relapsing and and uh all the uh all the different emotions and uh it was just it was just a very very low point in my life um and I, I think we talked about it off air there as well i spent i spent i remember spending christmas eve and christmas day alone and that was just due to my my addiction you know i had um burnt a lot of bridges with friends um and my ex-girlfriend and you know i was left alone and that was all down to my my addiction like you know it's interesting you mentioned there at the end about kind of like kind of pushing people away and all that kind of stuff like my i've had mental health issues um as well not like there's no comparison or if you know what i mean um but Mm. everyone else has their own journey and everyone i i've done that myself um that when i was at the lowest point um was pushing people away why do you think it's so easy to push people away when you're at the lowest point, when you know potentially if you're like you said yourself there that you were when you're put over in Fiji into a hotel room for 15 days, you were feeling lonely and isolated and then mm. counterintuitive to push people away, if you know what I mean. So why do you think that it was it was so easy for you just to go, no, I, I'm actually just going to stay with Cormac, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know, man. It's weird. Like, obviously, I think everyone has... Everyone has their, their rock bottoms, right? And everyone's rock bottoms is different. And I've kind of learned that there through rehab and down, mainly down through the, down the past year. But um, I don't know, man, I suppose when you're just, for me anyway, it was first, I just felt like no one could help me. No one could help me. And that was it, like, you know. Um, and I suppose I was kind of, it was all suicidal thoughts that was telling me to kind of, you know, this is it. And I didn't want help. Didn't didn't want help, but I suppose for me it was it took someone coming, it took my brother coming from another country to get me on that plane, you know. So sometimes I think having those having those uh, those people around you in your life can kind of save your life as well, you know. But it's 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 hard to explain, I suppose. Looking back at it now, I'm like, why didn't I seek help? Why 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 did I have to did it have to come to my brother coming three thousand miles away to get me on that plane, like you know? But I suppose. When you're struggling, when you're when you're feeling that low, you don't see you don't see uh, any light at the end of the tunnel, like you know. So yeah, you're very fortunate to have an amazing family, and that they kind of yeah. saw the signs. Like the Irish mammies will always always see the sign. They'll always tell you how it is, uh, whether you want to hear it or not. Um, I know, I know. 
Um, no, very fortunate, very fortunate. And look, I'm very fortunate to have some friends who have gone through it as well, man, because I have two friends who were nearly two years sober as well, and one of them had gone to rehab. And I suppose um, it was just because I was so far away. I was living in, I was living 3,000 miles away. So what you see online is actually not what's actually happening sometimes as well, because I, I felt like so my social media, my Instagram was such a big wall for me to hide behind. And I felt that's why it took so long for people to find out that I was actually struggling inside because you look at my Instagram and you're like, okay, this fella's fine. He's still working in nightclubs. He's doing this, he's doing that. But really that was, that was that, as I said, that was that big wall for me to hide behind, you know? Yeah. A lot of people look at social media, but they're looking at people's highlight reels. Um, 100%, 100%. Yeah. Did you ever get any kind of negativity or anything like that through the likes of socials and stuff like that? Did you ever have that battle either? I didn't really like, I suppose I, I, I definitely did. I definitely got some negative comments and messages, uh, posts of violence, but um, it wasn't anything that affected me mentally. I suppose one, one thing that does stand out though is I remember it was a couple of months after Love Island and I was posting stories and pictures of me in the present, you know, um, because I would always actually pull some modeling photos of or photos of me from the past and post them and pretend like it was just, it was happening there and then, you know, um, because my appearance was changing. I, I remember I'd lost, I think it was 18 kilos, 20, ki- 20 kilos in the space of two months. Wow. Yeah. So I was, was, I was, I was barely eating. I might have a meal, maybe two meals a day. And then on weekends I'd barely eat because I was partying so much and it was, it was crazy. But I remember getting a message off a girl who was a fan of Love Island probably about two months after the show. And I can't remember exactly what she said, but she said something like, Hey, hope you're, hope you're doing well. I just wanted to reach out to you. Um, I'm really worried about you. I can, I can see the change in your appearance and I noticed you're not smiling as much anymore. And I remember look going into my request and looking at that and I never replied to her because I was so embarrassed, but it, it was just funny how someone who I didn't even know had noticed a change in, in me, you know, and that's that, that's mad. That always stuck with me. I remember, I remember talking about that in rehab and how I felt because in rehab you were just talking about your feelings. You, yeah. you have you have to talk about everything, and it's funny looking back at it now. But I remember that really hurt me. Um, but I suppose that was one of the things that just kind of, you know, I I knew there and then I was like, wow, I I have a problem here. There's something. If someone who don't who I don't even know is noticing it through just some stories and post them. It's crazy, isn't it? And how how long a gap between that message coming in before your brother came over? Um, so three months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, that's I mad. Know. It is because I looking back and now, right? I I feel I was a, an addict, and that's why I have to I have to call myself an addict because I know how bad I was for maybe three years. I reckon. When I touched down to New York, it wasn't far off because I was using and drinking an awful lot. But it was just I had I always had something to pull me back temporarily. Um, whether it was um, shoots for modeling, whether it was TV shows, um, there was always something that kind of pulled me back and kind of made me okay. And then I go straight back into my my old habits. Um, but post of Ireland, I hit it hard and I didn't stop, and I didn't care what anyone was telling me. I kept going, so I was. Unfortunately, I was going, you know, I was going hard for five or six months there. 
Yeah, it's it, it like I know social media gets a feral bad rep, but I think that's one massive positive that's taken out of that. That was potentially a sign, but you just wanted to push it down. Did you ever respond yeah. back to the message, or have you responded back? Um, I actually think I deleted it, man. I was so embarrassed because it was. Um, I think it was one of. I won't say it was one of the first signs, but I think it was. It was one of those moments where it was just I was the only person who knew it was me and that that random person who gave me it who messaged me but like I'm very very grateful for that person messaging me because it kind of opened my eyes okay I, I'm really because it was just it was just one of those moments where I realized okay I'm a full-blown addict and I need help you know and that was one thing where pre-love island I'd always kind of push that to the side because I'm like nah there's no way I'm not I'm not I'm not a drug addict when you think of a drug addict, when you think of an alcoholic, alcoholic, it's someone on the side of the street, right? It's like someone's falling over. And I think that there's such a stigma around that as well. It's like, oh, he doesn't look, how can he be a drug addict? And I suppose I kind of like hid behind that as well. It's like, no, nah, I keep telling myself, no, nah, there's no way. There's no way I'm an addict. And there'll be some mornings and I wake up and I, uh, I'm i like, holy shit, like I, I am, I am, I am an addict. And I, and I, need, and I need help. Does it take a while to acclimatize to that title? Because, as you said, there is a there can be a stigma to it, unfortunately. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's something that you like. I learned, I learned a, a lot about myself in rehab, man. And very fortunate to go to a really good center, only ten minutes up the road from me in, in Clare. And um, you know, I had some great counselors. <clears throat> I, some, I met some great people in there as well, and I suppose. Before I went in, like you, you always think it's it, like yourself, you know, when you're struggling with mental health, you always think you're alone. You, you think you don't think there's anyone else who's dealing with the same problems. And, you know, there are the coursers, like, you know, so I think when you meet other people, you, you feel more comfortable um, telling your story once you have something in common with someone, you know. So I find, um, no, I'm, I'm at the start, it was difficult to kind of say, OK, I'm an addict. But I think the more you realize that and the more comfortable you get talking about it. And I think it's good to say it every once in a while because, you know, we'll get into about, you know, I relapsed during the year as well. Like, and I think that that was when I, um, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking of where I was at a few months prior to that, you know, going through rehab and hit my rock bottom. And then all of a sudden five and a half months later, I'm gone back drinking. It didn't make any sense. Like, you know, but I suppose I just kind of have to, I just kind of, Forgot, forgot my old. I forgot those new habits I developed in rehab and went back to my old habits. And um, did you notice of dropping your kind of like your state or your energy or what was the trigger? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I suppose the unfortunate thing when I came out of rehab was I was in the first lockdown here, and that was very difficult because I had no routine. I wasn't strong enough to build my own routine. Unfortunately, looking back at it now, com- compared to where I am, where I'm at this lockdown. <clears throat> We won't call it a lockdown. We call it um, we call it a vacation from this vacation. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. So at five and a half months, I just I was fed up, and I, I stopped doing meetings. I stopped talking to the right people. I, I felt like oh, I can do this on my own. And unfortunately, well, unfortunately and fortunately, because I'm actually very grateful that I did relapse because I learned so much about myself and I learned so much from it about what I can and can't do and what I shouldn't do. And, you know, <clears throat> I went back drinking for the summer and then, um, yeah, I was, I was hurting mentally because I, I'd go drinking 
and then a day the day or two after i'd be i'd be stuck to my bed i, I wouldn't be able to move and my anxiety started coming back as well and i said i had all these suicidal thoughts and everything so you know i ended up in the hospital um the first day i drank i had a panic attack i had an anxiety attack and then i woke up my parents called the ambulance and then i woke up in limerick hospital so you know i just knew I, I, I can't be doing this anymore but unfortunately i kept drinking throughout the summer i thought no i can do this um and Joanne, I, I, as I said before, I'm kind of glad I did because something hit me. I went on a little uh, trip with two of my best friends at Donegal. We went to the camper van, turned off social media, and just drove north. It was class, unreal. Have you been to Have you been to Donegal before? Yeah, I've been to Donegal. Yeah, it's beautiful amazing. place, man, unreal. And that was kind of pre um, second vacation, we call it. And um, something just clicked up there, man. You know, it was just like I can't do this anymore. You know, I was like. I, I, like I remember I was going on a, I had an interview with Jennifer Zeparelli with 2FM and I was really nervous and we were going to talk about Love Island and um, rehab and I said to the lads I was like what if she's asking me you know do I drink anymore and here's me drinking all summer it didn't make any sense so I was like I I can't be half-assed with this like you know this is my men- this is this is my mental health which is which I'm struggling with still so I have to go. I have to go 100, man. I can't drink anymore, you know. And do you like I know for myself, like I haven't drank in what nearly four years or whatever. Just had a yeah. chance because I know it's affecting my mental health. So I just don't feel like drinking. Yeah, congrats on that as well. I heard Thank that on my podcast recently. Um, but one of the things that Chris Williamson said to me it was like, "It's the only drug that you get criticized or mocked for for not taking." <laughs> And I was like, when he said that, I was like, wow, because it's like, it's, it's a social enhancing drug. It's people can, when they're on nights out, they kind of, it, it kind of induces fun and stuff like that. But when you don't take it, you're like, oh, you're a banter sponge. You're soaking up all the fun for not having a drink. But I think at the, yeah. fr- the, fr- the first few times I went out after not boozing, it, like it was weird because you're, you, you it, like when you were drinking, it was kind of like, it wasn't that it was you, but it was kind of like that it was you were hiding behind something and then once you mm. take that little wall down or that veil down, then you're actually able to be yourself. You may not be jumping around like a lunatic or whatever it may be, but you're still able to have fun. Just, you don't have to go for the garlic cheese fries at the night and wake up <laughs> in your bed the, the day after. 100%. <clears throat> yeah, it's weird. Like, cause as, as you said, <laughs> like it's going to be interesting enough because I, I don't think I'm going to go out this Christmas because I, I just don't think it's smart to put myself in that position not saying I can't do it but I just don't want to but eventually you know I'm going to have to <clears throat> um, but it's weird the way you say that like because you know everyone I feel like people judge someone for not it's it's almost like people are judging you for not being yourself they want you to put toxins in your system and get on their level so it's it's very it's very strange but like you know, because I remember when I was younger, when I was when I was playing rugby, I, I, I didn't drink that much, you know, and people would be like, why aren't you drinking? I'm like, no, nah, i got a game this weekend. And they're like, oh, you know, instantly <laughs> criticizing you for not drinking. And I remember it used to piss me off back in the day. I'd be like, what the hell is going on here? But um, yeah, look, it's, it's weird. It's very weird, man. But I think that's just the way the Irish culture is, right? If someone isn't drinking in the group. I think people um, automatically think it's just is is he okay or is she okay? So, uh, but I think it's 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 gradually changing. You find there are more people who who aren't drinking, or even people who who do drink, but they're going out on nights out over. So it's, 
you know, they don't want to, uh, they don't want to wake up, as you said, with the garlic cheese, garlic cheese chip <laughs> around their mouth the next day. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but uh, yeah, it's, it's somewhere in the back of the head. Um, yeah, yeah. You've talked about like your. If you look at your <clears throat> posts now, because I was doing the research before um, and sending the questions over to yourself, I was doing research and going through like your posts and stuff. They've changed yeah. a lot in the last in from where they were potentially eighteen months ago to where they are yeah. now. There's a lot more talk of like the importance of kind of self care, and you're yeah. massive on that about having that routine. And what does your routine look like for that? Because if people hear self care, they kind of take a step back and like that's a bit wishy washy for me. It's like a yeah, taboo for looking after yourself. What's your routine look like? Yeah, I suppose everyone has their um, everyone has their different routines, whether it's a morning routine or <clears throat> excuse me, an evening routine. But I find morning routine for me is very, very important because it kind of sets me up for the day. So obviously <clears throat> my work is kind of inconsistent now. So I could have uh, weeks where I'd work Monday to Friday and I'm off the weekend where for, for instance this week i'm not doing anything this week i'm just training i'm doing my course um so i have so much time to do my morning routine so i got i try to get up as early as possible man so if i'm up i don't i don't sleep in any anything past 8, 8 a.m um meditation was a big thing for me meditation was um something that i kind of learned in rehab and it kind of worked for me as well and i find if i don't do that I'm not as calm. I'm not as grounded as well. I find like I get a little bit anxious. Um, maybe my temper might be uh, a little short as well with my family, and I don't like being like that. So I use um, Calm, which is the app, and I definitely use. I definitely meditate four to five times a week. Um, if I can, definitely definitely minimum three times a week. Um, Gratitude is something I'm getting getting into as well just recently. Um, something that I learned in rehab, but I didn't continue that, and I, I find that very a lot more a lot more difficult than meditation. I think, um, because you're sitting yourself. Like I try, I try to do that in the mornings, and I try to do that before I go to bed. I just got these journals sent out to me as well, and one was my planner, and one is more for gratitude as well. So they definitely helped me. Um, so those are two things that stand out. So that's um, gratitude list and meditation. The the journaling definitely definitely works. Like the the it yeah. the hardest part, as you said, is doing the positive self affirmations because yeah. everyone has stuff that they don't necessarily like about themselves. But then, and it's very when you're at the lowest point, it's very hard to look through life through a a, a kind of a colored lens rather than a shit colored lens, and it's very hard to write down what is actually positive it could be something as i always talk about this with my clients is like what was the smallest win that you had it doesn't have to be like you ran 10k it doesn't have to be that it's like you got up and went for a walk you got up and had a shower you got up and rang a friend or whatever it may be something yeah. as small as that could make and build up build up build up that's what's going to get you to where you want to go yeah start small like it could be like for daily 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 goals or daily tasks it could be anything as, as you said it could be okay i'm gonna get up at i got up at 7 a.m this morning okay that's done i um meditated i worked out i got this done you know so start small and build off that as well and that's for myself as well because there's some days where i'm like geez i didn't do a lot today you know i'm um, um, or what am i grateful for today and i suppose it's for me, I'm, I, o- I overthink a lot as well, and you're over-analyzing these as well. And it's like, okay, but look, just start small and build off that. That's what I find. That's, that helps me as well, you know? 
100 i think that that's that's been definitely a game changer for me since the beginning of the first vacation as we're calling it on this episode um the mental health thing is a massive thing for yourself and do you find that a lot of people are afraid to talk about it because the taboo is still there or yeah there's definitely I, th- I think so i think so because i was talking about this um a couple of weeks ago to someone and it was and the way i put it is like if you want to get in shape right you're gonna hire a personal trainer if you want to grow your business you're gonna hire a life coach and i think it should be the same thing if if i'm struggling mentally i'm gonna I'm going to seek professional help, like with a psychiatrist or a counselor or something like that. And I think there's such a stigma around seeking help when you're struggling mentally. I think if people are embarrassed or they feel like they're giving up, I think there's a pressure. I think they feel pressure. Oh, if I can't do it myself, you know, I'm giving up, like, you know. And I definitely felt that as well because I was adamant on not seeking help when I needed it the most. And, um you know i uh, i should have i should have gotten help years ago years ago for my, my mental state and my addiction but of course my ego was telling me nah, not a hope of it so i think there's definitely as you said there's a, ta- there's a taboo around that but that's the way i put it man if you know it's like yourself you're a trainer like and you know if people are seeking your help why can't people seek help if they're struggling mentally you know I think that's I think that's I, I think that's the message of the podcast really to be honest with you that's going to be the same bite there is like you have you can train your body as much as you want but if you're six inches between your two ears aren't playing ball you're not going to be content with where you're at you have to look after that like the, the brain's a muscle as well you have to train that and it's too easy for the brain to tell you and protect you and tell you and make you fear everything or as you said the ego comes into play a hell of a lot in what we do and i think this isn't a sexist comment men are worse with their ego than than girls um, yeah i mainly train females um girls also have mental health issues but from a male perspective i know the biggest thing that holding me back when i went to go and talk to someone was it was like what everyone else is going to think is like that's going to make me less of a person or less of a man for actually going and talk about my feelings i was like but now you can't shut me up about it i'm like yeah it's yeah. like once that tap is opened you can't you can't stop it yeah i think it's um the first the first step is just just taking a step man and just trying try at least trying to to uh chat to a friend or a family member and make sure you know just don't be afraid to Express your emotions and tell them how you're feeling. Like, you know, I think that's so important. And it's definitely, there's definitely, a, it's definitely more around men and Irish men as well who are afraid to to do that. Like, you know, and it's kind of unfortunate enough, but I think we're definitely in the right direction as well. And that's one of the main reasons why, okay, I started talking about my addiction and mental health because I felt, okay, if people are looking at me, all right, here's Cormac who was in um, New York and doing a nightlife game and he went on a reality show. But he's he's um he's telling us all about his addiction and she struggles with mental health. I, I feel it might and hopefully it will help some people and make them feel more comfortable. Um I think and that's why I want mental health. That's why I want to have you on as well. I know you're involved in uh Movember uh as well. And yeah. I think I know you've uh, shaved off your tash, you've left it <laughs> to me. Uh you're do, you're doing the running and stuff like that. So it's uh you can get away with it. Um yeah what are kind of the main lessons you've kind of learned through the two vacations that we've had this year? Yeah, that's a good, good question. Um, very valid one. I think I was saying that we were saying it off here, off air. 
I'm completely different. And I, I feel everyone is saying that as well, but just on a from on a personal note, I'm, I feel com- completely different from this lockdown compared to last lockdown. And I suppose it's just having, and going back to mo- mo- uh, morning routine, but it's having a routine as well. Because I feel if you're, if you're not having a routine, man, if you don't have a daily plan for the day, what are you doing then, you know? I think, and I, I've, I've heard like thousands of people say it as well. And I remember listening to podcasts and I'm like, you know, not hopeful. Because I used to just get up and do, go about my day. And, okay, I'll get up, I'll work out, I'll do this. But it was, there was no set time, do you know? So your, your day isn't planned. So I think if you plan out your day accordingly, you know, it, it might take some time, but it, again, it's trial and error. I'm still in the trial and error uh, moments as well because there's some days where I'm like, okay, that doesn't work. And then I'll try to switch it around as well. So if I need to work out in the morning or study in the morning or vice versa, you find out what works for you and then just go from there, you know? Yeah, I think when people hear planning, they're kind of like, oh, this is this is going to be army regimented. I'm not going to be able to have any fun. I'm like, no, this allows, this kind of helps you have the fun. This frees up yeah. the time for that. But like I like on a Sunday, I'll sit down and for like 20, 30 minutes. And that will save me probably about four or five hours during the week, Monday to Friday, mm-hmm. from either planning work or planning podcasts, planning whatever. And that has been the, my state, my sleep, everything, keeping my phone in my room, all that kind of stuff. I'm planning some me time. I think when things do open back up, we don't know what Christmas is going to look like. Um, when, th- when things open back up, I think I'm cautious of people who have been t- potentially used to kind of being kind of a little bit withdrawn and being content in themselves for the last few months once mm-hmm. the door is open. Will they just kind of go revert back into it? As you said, it's quite easy to revert back into old stuff when temptation is there, the state is low, the te- and all that kind of stuff, and shiny object syndrome is there as well. So I yeah. do worry for people when things do open up, and then if they've been struggling, and then they're going to go on uh, the drink or on drugs or whatever it may be, that's just going to lower their headspace even more. So it's kind of like, there has to be you. Ha, you can't control what you consume mentally, physically, uh, alcohol, drugs. You have a choice of what you're putting into your head, what you're putting into your body. I think people just need to kind of protect around that. Like Christmas, potentially now, if the oh, I don't know what the pubs are going to do, I don't know what the restaurants are going to do. Um, but I think now, with kind of having been on vacation for nearly eight nine months at this stage, you're you're kind of saying right, if things open up, how am I going to what plans and procedures am I going to put in place to kind of keep this, this good headspace that I have at the minute? Um, mm. How are you going to manage that yourself? I know you're saying you, you may not kind of go out, <clears throat> but you must have some, social, some sort of social aspect in order for Christmas because that's what it's all about, really. Yeah, of course. And I suppose that's where people are struggling is that, that social connection, which is understandable as well, isn't it? You know, um, but I suppose just trying to stick to if stick, stick stick to your regular um we are daily daily routines weekly routines but i suppose allow yourself to to have that social connection so if you want to go for a few drinks and go for a few drinks that's fine but i suppose it's finding that balance as well right i think balance is key over christmas it's like because i feel everyone just like every christmas and even myself the last few christmas as well i've just go 100 percent and forget about everything else and just out in the pubs and drinking and eating crap but i suppose you know, you can you can allow yourself to drink and eat these foods, but it's just finding a balance between that as well. And I think that's very important, man. Um, especially over around Christmas time, and especially coming out of this lockdown as well. 
hopefully people don't go full throttle and just go straight out there. But for me, my social connection will just be, I'll, I'll still be meeting friends, you know. Um, it just might not be in a bar. So I find a lot of my friends out there, most or some of them don't really drink anymore. So I'm fortunate enough in that um, in that case. And obviously, you know, I'm I'm wary of who who I hang who I hang around with. Um, because look, my friends know my situation as well. So if we're meeting, it'll be for a coffee or it'll be for a run or it'll, it'll be for a workout, you know? Um, but look, man, I'm actually really looking forward to this Christmas. It's going to be my first sober Christmas and, you know, looking at where I was last year as well. I'm, I'm very excited to just enjoy Christmas with my family and my friends and in a different way, but it'll be, um, more fulfilling. Yeah, I, I I really like that sentiment, and I think also the the fact that you t- you like you're wary of who you let people or let in into yeah. your circle, um, and I think that is one of those things that you do have to be. It can come across to some people of being like a little bit, I don't know, prickish for not letting people in or being careful of who you hang around with, but I think you have to be careful of like minded people. Like if I looked at my social group now to where it was, say, five or six years ago. It's been cut down by, I'd say, about 80%, 90%. Yeah, um, yeah. You, have, you had, like, socializing mates. And as soon as you stopped having the drink and stuff like that, it kind of, you're like, why is Walsh not to kind of text anymore, all that kind of stuff. But uh, it's... You find out who your friends are when you're at that low point. And I was, I was very fortunate to talk to Brian Penny on radio yesterday or on yeah. yesterday um, about it. Like I was at my lowest point, like one of the weirdest things I've ever heard about getting me out of my mental health position was one of my best mates rang me. He had a, he bought a new house and he it was doing it up like it was a shit heap of a house and he rang me up to go and paint the house. That was one way to get me out of my bed. And I was okay. like, I look back yeah. at it now, I'm like, he knew what he was at. Yeah. Um, yeah but he didn't make it out like, well, she needs to get away. I was like, no, I need you to help me paint the house he knew i was off um so it is important to have those people around you and you and as you said you've got your brother your, your your folks and you've got your mates and stuff like that um what advice would you give to your 18 year old self if you were to to look back because i i love asking this question because you can <laughs> see people free games good question yeah um don't drink <laughs> <laughs> no no i did you want i definitely wouldn't tell myself not to drink or, and, and this might sound weird or a terrible zone, but or use as well, because I'm actually, I'm glad I drank and I used that much because I think for everyone is different, but I think it, it wouldn't have, um, you know, I think everything happens. I'm a firm believer in everything happens for a reason. So I think me going to rehab, me going on a reality show, me uh, promoting in New York and that was meant to be. And, you know, I've never thought I'd be back in Ireland and I really didn't think I would be, but, I suppose my advice to 18 year old self, um, I suppose, man, just be organized, be organized, have fun, but be organized. Maybe read more books. I think I said this in, a, in another podcast, read more books. I think there's so, there's so much, there's so many insightful books out there as well. And I think you can learn a lot as well. I didn't go to college after secondary school. So I was like, oh, education, nah, I hate that, you know, but my mother was always, telling me to read books man and it's only now i'm starting to read books and i'm enjoying it as well and i'm learning from it so um even though i think 18 year old cormac would would have said would have still have said no to reading books i would have pushed him to to read more books 
I can resonate with that a lot. I'm looking at, like, I think I had the chat with my folks yesterday and they're like, will you stop ordering bloody Amazon stuff? Uh, I should be sponsored by Amazon at this stage. Um, what, what, what two big lessons from books have you learned? To be in more, to be in um, the present. And I'm reading, I'm actually reading um, Ovi Soko. Ovi Soko, he was on Love Island last year, the same year as Greg. And he talks about his inner compass as well and to trust your inner compass. And and uh, I said, that's, I haven't finished his book yet. I'm only halfway through, but that's the main, that's the main lesson. But he's just all about positive energy, man. And, and I feel like I'm trying to learn from that as well. Like, Okay, I feel like I'm a positive person, but it's impossible to stay positive 24-7. And if it is, it's being forced. So I think, you know, having that self-awareness, okay, if, if you wake up, because there there's days that I wake up, I don't feel well, but that's okay, you know, because there are days you're not going to feel, you're not going to feel 100%. And I think, you know, being able to sit with yourself and realize that that's okay is fine because... I remember when I came out of rehab and when I wasn't feeling well, I thought, okay, what's going on here? I've, I've, I've given up drink. I've done rehab. I've gone, I've gone, I've, I'm doing these meetings and I'm still not feeling well. So I think it takes time and it takes practice and, you know, it's trial and error. Like it, like, like anything really, isn't it? Big time. Yeah, it is. Like it is, it is the low days that you learn about yourself and it is easier to fall into those old habits and routines when you're at like a low state and you wake up like, a couple of mornings like i love going out for the walk and especially now like the weather's fine at the minute it's a little bit cold but it's fine mm. uh, and you get out to see the sunrise it's just it's something quite therapeutic about it um as cheesy as that sounds but it it, it helps yeah. me kind of like a new dawn new day that kind of symbolism yeah, for myself. Yeah, yeah. um you're doing a, an amazing thing at the minute or is coming up should i say with pieta house so i know this is yeah. a massive thing that you want to talk about and uh, so i'm gonna let you kind of talk about the, the initiative that's kind of coming up and why why we're paid Pieta House. Yeah, thanks for bringing it up. Um, so I reached out to Pieta House probably about a month ago and just told him my story and um, asked could I help out and maybe do my own fundraiser because I got a little taste of the fundraising with Movember and I absolutely loved it, like, you know, and that was obviously part of a team, but um, I, do you know what, I decided, I was like, you know what, it'd be cool if I could do something myself and spread awareness on mental health and suicide, suicide prevention, because that was something that I really struggled with. And, um, I'm only coming out about my suicidal thoughts because at the start I was coming out about my addiction. Right. And then I was kind of blindsiding everything about suicide. Cause I think I was afraid, I was afraid to do it. You know, it's, it's for me at the time it was embarrassing, but I'm, I'm trying to own that now. And, spread awareness on it so Pieta House are great man they're you know a non-profit organization that help people who are struggling with suicidal thoughts and uh, I think they've helped I think it's over 60,000 people since they first opened and it's incredible so um you know last Christmas was a very very low time for me um as as I was saying before I spent Christmas Eve and Christmas Day alone using um my head was you know I was I was I hit an all-time low and I suppose I'm just trying to tell my story and, and help people in doing so. So what I'm going to do Christmas Eve from 12 noon until Christmas Day at 12 noon, I'll do two kilometers on the hour every hour. So it'll be a full marathon to spread awareness and uh, to hopefully raise some funds for Pieta House. It's a great idea and you'll have earned your Christmas dinner by then. <laughs> 100%. And then I think the plan, myself and my brother, um, we are going to go swimming in Lynch. So that was another thing I've, I've never done. Everyone, I have not. Yeah. 
No, never done, man. I'm only 25 minutes from Lahinch and I've never oh, swam on. on Christmas Lahinch Day. I know. Lahinch and Galway are the two best places in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's well, class. No, I'm going to put in the, the link uh for that so people can make a donation to that because it ha- like it's a very very worthwhile cause and i i love cormac's story uh cormac has been so honest about everything really and i know it's it's not easy it's kind of, i find kind of almost talking about it like a therapy thing the, the podcast i just have to have a microphone with a red light on right now and it's just it feels like it's just a chat uh so cormac where can people find out about yourself on on socials yeah, so my social is I am Cormac Murphy. Um, I'm not on any, any Twitter, or no TikTok anymore. So I just try and keep it to my Instagram. Um, so I am Cormac Murphy on my social, and you'll hear me talking about um, the fundraiser more um, come December. Amazing guys, I cannot thank you enough, Cormac, for for coming on. Um, the if you guys have enjoyed the episode, please do tag. Cormac and I in your story and please do make a donation to Pieta House a lot of the charities are struggling right now with what's going on I think the mental health charities I think they there's a lot of resources that need to be pumped back into those with and resources have been taken off them and stuff so I think it's super super important so Cormac thank you so much for having having the chat yeah thanks Shane appreciate it